into this series, our Christmas series called Fear Not. And we're looking at several characters, individuals in the story leading up to Christmas, the Christmas story about the incarnation of uh, the Son of God, how God took on a human body, became flesh, dwelt among us. And so we've been looking at um, several different characters in this story who had encounters with angels, messengers from God, beings that exist in the presence of God. And so they're powerful and awe-inspiring. And when these individuals encounter an angel, their first reaction is to tremble in fear. And all of the angels say to those individuals, fear not, because the message that they brought was a good message. And so we're looking at this series called Fear Not and looking at different, different characters in this story. You know, it was probably uh, the late 70s. Um, I, if I can remember, I probably 70, 77, 78. Um, I was just a young boy living in Winona Lake, Indiana on 301 Boys City Drive in a summer cottage that my parents had converted into a year-round home. And the way they did that was in the winter, um, we would stack hay, small square bales of hay around the foundation of the house so everything didn't freeze through the cold Indiana winters with the lake effect uh, weather coming down from Lake Michigan. And so we lived in this home year round and it had a little fireplace. It was pretty cozy. Um, and my brother and I uh, slept in a little converted porch with a bunk bed. And because I was the oldest, I had the bottom bunk. And of course he had the top bunk, right? That's the way it goes. But I remember uh, one night in my little bunk bed in this little house in Winona Lake, Indiana, I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. I was terrified. My heart was racing. The adrenaline was pumping. See, uh, earlier that evening, the neighbor girl, jo um, Johnny uh, Compton, had come over and watched my brother and I. It's not babysitting because we weren't babies. But she came and watched us. <clears throat> she came and watched us. And uh, she came and, and took care of us. Well, <clears throat> she had the cool idea with a couple of young boys to tell some scary stories. And so she told some scary stories. Now, when she told them, it was really cool. Right? It was exciting. But in the middle of the night, when I woke up having been dreaming about those scary stories, it was not so much fun. And so I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. My heart's racing. My uh, adrenaline's pumping. I jump out of my bed. I run what seemed like a quarter mile to my parents' room. I hit the door, which happened to be unlocked. It opened up, and I dove right in between my mom and my dad. Safe. My dad woke up and said, what are you doing in my bed? You're too big to be in my bed. Get back to your room. Fear is an interesting thing. It's a crazy emotion. It certainly motivates us at times. Maybe you've been scared at some point in your life irrationally, right? And, and uh, it can drive us sometimes in the right direction, but sometimes in the wrong direction. When we encounter God, and when individuals in the scripture encounter a messenger from God, fear is the correct response. When human beings found themselves in an interaction with God, the correct posture and response is down flat on our face in fear. Because we recognize that God is holy and per pure and perfect and powerful beyond anything we can imagine. And we come to grips with that when we get an encounter with God. And in the, in the Bible, we see this encounter many times. And in our story today, 
found in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see one such encounter. You know, the devil, who is also an angel, would love for you to fear everything in life except who you should fear. He would love for you to fear lots of other things, to aim your fear in other directions, to fear uh, perhaps the weather, perhaps your neighbor, perhaps uh, some risk that is incurred in life. Really, any situation, he would love to have you fearful of the wrong things so you're not fearful of the right one who is God. A godless perspective is what his goal is. Charles Bowles, um, who is also known as Black Bart, back in the early years of our country, uh, was a professional thief who was wronged by, the Wells Fargo, uh, uh, by a Wells Fargo stage line crew. And so he made it his aim to enact punishment on them and get his revenge on them. And so for several years, he went about robbing stagecoach, uh, those stagecoach lines, stealing from the bank. And of course, uh, he was an intimidating figure From 1873 to 1885, he did his damage, robbing 29 different stagecoach crews. Amazingly, though, Black Bart, though he carried a shotgun, he never shot anybody, and uh, and he never took a hostage. He was never pursued by any law enforcement. But each and every encounter he had with a stagecoach crew, he instilled fear and so much fear in them by his presence that they were frozen and unable to counter him. And so he was able to easily get away with a lot of money. Today we're going to look at someone, again, whose fear was pointed in the correct direction. As an angel from God appeared to a young woman named Mary. As Mary encountered this angel, uh, she rightly, as I've said, was filled with fear and awe. Mary was a young Jewish girl. She had grown up um, in a good home. She was uh, a good Jewish girl following the law of Moses. And not just the law of Moses, but really following the laws that the Pharisees had added to the law of Moses. And so she was really trying to do everything right. She seemed to have a very sincere heart for God, trying to do the right thing and, and almost all the time doing the right thing. And she had um, a plan for her future. And it was set and it was good. She was engaged to a Jewish man who had a good pedigree. He was in the line of King David. He had a good name, a good reputation. And and so they were going to get married. And and her plan was, like thousands of Jewish women before her, uh, to have a family and to begin to bear children and to raise them to respect God and fear God. This was her plan for the future. And yet, as we're going to see today, God is going to interject into her life with a different plan. And she's going to need to do what we all need to do when we have an encounter with God and we understand what it is that he wants for us, is we need to overcome that fear of a different future. See, God, his plans for Mary are different than what she had planned for herself. In order to follow Jesus, We need to overcome that same kind of fear that Mary's going to have to overcome in a moment as she interacts with an angel. We have to overcome those same fears because when we engage and encounter with God, we recognize what God wants from us is he has a different future planned for us. And it's going to require some big changes. And so in order to get the right perspective on this, 
As we come to God, as, as we uh, consider and contemplate answering the call of Jesus on all of our lives, we've got to have the recognition that what it is God is going to call us to do, the future that he's calling us into, is going to be challenging. It's going to be different than we thought, but it is going to be a God-blessed future. You and I can live a self-directed life and go in the direction we want to go with our own plans. But when we respond to the call of God, it changes. And so it's important we recognize that that future, though it's different than we thought, is still a God-blessed future. In fact, in more ways. And so Luke chapter 1, if you want to follow along, let's begin our story in verse 28. Gabriel appeared to her, that is Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. This angel, this powerful heavenly being who comes from the presence of God, filled with his glory, filled with his presence, shining in brightness, massive, powerful. This angel starts off with a positive greeting. Greetings, favored woman. He says the words that we all want to hear when we have an encounter with God. Greetings, favored teacher. Greetings, favored mother. Favored father. Favored son. Favored daughter. Favored grandfather. Grandmother. Favored farmer. Favored rancher. Favored carpenter. Right? Favored doctor. Favored lawyer. We want to hear those words because we want to know that as we've been living our lives, that we've found favor with God. And so often we're not sure. Mary, though she was a devout Jewish girl trying to do things the right way, we're never quite sure really where we stand with God oftentimes because we know ourselves. Greetings, favored woman. What's about to come is a good thing. God's presence is with you. What she was about to encounter was going to change everything. It was going to change her identity, change her plans. It was not, life was not going to go in the direction that she thought it was going to. And so Gabriel, the messenger from God, ensures that she understands what's coming is as a result of God's blessing in your life. Mary. I'm going to share some news with you. Things are going to change drastically, but these are good things. It's coming as a result of being chosen by God to accomplish a mission that is vitally important. So as Mary encounters the same thing we all do, the fear of what is coming when we answer God's call, the angel assures Mary that it's good and blessings that are coming from God. Mary's going to have to overcome the fear, the uncertainty, the changes that she's going to engage as a result of being chosen for a mission. Even those who would hear the truth about Mary and how the things came about they're about to unfold, even those who heard the truth about how it happened as she grew older and went through life, many still wouldn't believe that that actually happened. And so Mary had to be prepared for an uncertain future where her identity and how she was viewed was not going to be what she had planned. Her intention 
of how she was going to live her life would bring her respect in the community she lived in. In the little town of Nazareth, where she knew everyone and they knew her, right? Her reputation was good. That was about to change. The Bible tells us that when we choose to follow Jesus, as a result of understanding the invitation that God makes to all of us, Jesus says to all of us, come and follow me. When he says that, it's an invitation to leave the lives that we've been living and to alter the course and to begin to follow him. And it's an altogether different future that lies in front of us. And we understand that if we're aware, if we contemplate it all, what it means to surrender to God and to follow him, we know that things are going to be different. And the truth is that we need to remember on those difficult days where things aren't going the way we thought they should. And if I was in charge, God, things could go a lot better, right? We need to remember as we go down the road of following Jesus, which is not the easiest path. It's the more difficult path. We need to remember that it is a blessed future that God's called us to. It's a blessed path, even though it'll be full of suffering and difficulty. When we choose the gift of salvation that God offers to us, when we receive and experience forgiveness and redemption and grace and mercy, when we do that, we step into a blessed future. Ephesians chapter two gives us a sense of our position, our identity, before we made a decision to follow Jesus. This is what the apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus regarding who they were before they made a decision to follow Jesus. Ephesians two, starting in verse one. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Paul reminds this group of believers in the first century that before they trusted Christ, they were following another angel, an angel who had rebelled against God and who was thrown out of heaven and who, was, who amassed an army of angels to follow him who would work in opposition to God's plan for the human race. And he said, before you trusted Christ, before you decided to follow Jesus and accept God's plan of salvation, you were following the devil who is the power and who controls the unseen world. And he is working against God's plan and God's future for the human race. He said, that's who you were following. And so we recognize that the devil becomes a powerful force in this world. Now, some in our world struggle to believe in the devil. Not sure that the devil exists. After all, he's unseen. Do I really believe in these things? Maybe it's just he's a myth. He's a legend. It's like the two little six-year-old boys that were having a discussion about the devil's existence, trying to figure it out between them. And the first one said, no, the, you know, the devil doesn't really exist. The other little boy said, well, yeah, he does. He's talked about all the way through the Bible. The other little boy said, no, it's not true. 
You know, it's not true at all. In fact, it's just like Santa. The devil turns out to be your dad. <laughs> I once had a friend who came to Christ later in life as an adult. He came, uh, became a Christian, and his friends didn't view it as a positive move, <laughs> surprisingly. They weren't sure about it. They said, oh, so, so you become a Christian now, so you believe everything in the Bible? You believe all that stuff? Like, you believe that, that Jonah got swallowed by a, a big fish, really? You believe that there was an ark, and you know, Noah built and survived a worldwide flood? You believe that stuff? Um, and so uh, he had to share with them that, in fact, he did. Because when we become a Christian, when we begin to follow Jesus, follow God, we believe what the Bible says. It becomes our true source. And so what God says has happened in the history of the world, we believe. Now, becoming a Christian and believing the Bible, um, unlike many think, does not mean you have to turn your brain off. <laughs> it doesn't mean that things are irrational, though it does involve believing in miracles and believing that God has worked and intervened in the course of human history so that things happen different than they normally happen. But on our trip uh, out to North Carolina, on the way back, we stopped in Kentucky um, at uh, what is called the Ark Encounter. And a gentleman by the name of Ken Ham, who's been around for quite a while, um, he uh, leads an organization called Answers in Genesis. He has built, envisioned, and, and it's come, come about a life-size Ark replica, right? 500 feet long, hundreds of feet tall. It's a massive structure. Walking up to it, you're kind of like, wow. Okay, I've read about this in the Bible, but you know, this is amazing. And you get on the ark and you begin to walk through it and he has displays set up with cages and animals and he's done the math on how many different kinds of animals there were and species and how many there would have had to be on the ark and what that would have looked like and maybe how Noah and his sons might have cared for them with a watering system and a feeding system and a waste removal system. It's pretty fascinating. Doesn't take away from the miraculous nature of the flood and the flood account, but it shows that it's not irrational to believe what the Bible says. In fact, it's the most rational thing you can believe as a human being. It's far more rational than the other theories that are out there. And so uh, we see that God and believing in God changes our belief system. And so we begin to acknowledge that Satan is real and that he is at work in our world and he is working to influence us. And he wants to see us be fearful of all the wrong things. To misunderstand God's call on our lives. When God, when God says to us, come follow me, the devil says, that's the wrong path. That's going to hurt you. It's going to work against you, right? This is the strategy of the enemy. And so we become aware of it. And we step in the direction that God's calling us. And Mary is faced with this kind of decision. What would she do? As the angel Gabriel continues to uh, reveal to her God's plan for her future. And one of the things that she has to grapple with, she comes to realize, is that it is a future that does not fit her plans. Let's continue to read Luke chapter 1 and verse 29. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel 
forever. His kingdom will never end. It's a little difficult for us to really put ourselves in Mary's shoes to understand what she's thinking and feeling and experiencing. She has an encounter with an angelic being, a, a being of power and substance and brilliance and brightness and, and holiness. And uh, her response is rightfully fearful, and yet the angel continues to reassure her, it's going to be okay, you're blessed. What's coming at you is a blessing, not a judgment or a curse. This is going to be good. And so she has to uh, wrestle with what she's thinking and feeling and experiencing. As the angel says, here's what's going to happen to you, Mary. By the way, this is coming as a result of a blessing, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to conceive and bear a child. Now Mary knows that the proper law-abiding order for a young Jewish girl to have a child is to be engaged and then get married and then have relations with her husband and get pregnant and have a child. This plan that the angel is revealing to her does not follow that order. I can only imagine what she begins to think and feel as she hears what this blessed future for her looks like. She has to very quickly, because our minds move quickly to the ramifications of what God is calling us to do. When Jesus says, come follow me, most of us go, what is that going to mean? Uh, like the young man I spent time with uh, years ago. So what am I going to have to give up to follow Jesus? What am I going to have to give up? Like, do I have to give up, uh, you know, going out and partying on the weekends? Do I got to give up having sex with my girlfriend? What do I got to give up? And I said, well, yeah, you know what? There is some things you'll have to give up. There's some changes that God will require of you. But you shouldn't be asking, what do I got to give up? You should be asking, what do I have to gain? Mary, though, like all of us, the gears are turning. The angel drops the bomb. Here's what's going to happen. She knows what that means. She begins to wrestle with, what is this going to look like for me? What does this mean for my life? I don't know how she heard anything that Gabriel was saying after he said, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> like, I, I would think the rest of it would just be, you know, like Charlie Brown's teacher or whatever. I mean, it was just, I don't understand what's being said here, right? But somehow she, she catches on to everything. She does hear it. Maybe she's got a heightened sense of awareness because she's having this encounter with an angel. But she knows this does not fit her plans. What he's revealing to her, in fact, might derail all of it. This nice young man in the line of David with good pedigree and a good name, got a good, uh, he's been training for a good career, good responsible guy. He might have a little bit of a problem with her becoming pregnant before they get married. He might have a little bit of an issue with that. Depending on how you're wired, adapting to change is different for all of us, right? How are you at adapting to God changing your plans? How do you handle that? Do you adjust quickly? Or do you have to take some time to process it? I know that we're all different, and depending on how we're wired, we have different responses to change. I do know this, that if you follow God from the very beginning, he will interject change into your plans. He will present to you something different than what you envisioned. It's always the case. And depending on how you're wired, that can be uh, more easy or more difficult, but it's a struggle for all of us. No one really likes change. Some people like change as long as it 
affects someone else. But, but, uh, but we all struggle with change to a certain degree. But some of you might be a little more wired, like the engineer working under General MacArthur during the Second World War. MacArthur called in the engineer, said, listen, we've got to have a bridge over this river. Um, uh, how long is it going to take to get it done? And, and uh, the engineer said, about three days. And he said, all right, get the plans ready, and, uh, and let's, uh, let's see your plans so we can, we can get going on this. And three days later, MacArthur called the engineer, said, do you got the plans ready? Engineer said, no, we got the bridge built. <laughs> you can use it. If you want the plans, we're still working on those. It can take a couple more days. <clears throat> Some of us like that ready, shoot, aim you know, uh, way of living life. Listen, uh, you know, we're all a little different. It's okay that we're wired different, that we have different reactions. I think Mary was not the, the, the person that enjoyed or was quickest to change. I don't think this was an easy encounter for her. It was just a simple thing. Oh, okay, God, you have some, what a wonderful idea. Let's go do it. Like uh, Mary had a good head on her shoulders. She was a smart young woman and she had things, she was doing things the right way. And she knew that this was gonna throw a wrench in everything. A lot of you know, um, you know Mary and I's story, uh, but uh, we started um, after Bible college, uh, we ended up farming on the family farm, Mary's family farm, uh, near Sargent, Nebraska. And we were there and we began to work in the church and work with the youth. And, and I kind of had the idea of working in some kind of ministry role, but I didn't really have a strong sense of that. And I had grown up uh, a pastor's kid, a missionary kid. And so to be honest, there's some things about a ministry life I wasn't really excited about. And I thought, hey, somebody else uh, can, can sit in the hot seat and I'll go ahead and help them. I'll be in a supportive role. That's fine. And so I kind of had that plan and I felt like God and I had an agreement on that. You know, do you ever have an agreement with God? Think you got things figured out? <laughs> he has an understanding of where you're coming from. Right? That's how I thought it was. I said, okay, God, this is great. And things were working. Thought it was going great. And then all of a sudden, you know, I go on a missions trip. When I'm about 26, I come home and I start feeling this strong urgency that God wants me to step into a vocational ministry role. I say, God, I'm fine with any kind of ministry role, just not vocational ministry role. Can we do something else? God just kept, uh, I, I couldn't get away from it, right? And so I, I went and talked to my pastor and he said, oh man, I see that. Let's create something for you. And so pretty soon I'm working at the church a little bit more. And that turns into being a youth pastor for several years and then feeling the urgency to reach a, a culture around us. It seemed like it was moving away from God faster and faster. And so I ended up uh, pursuing church planting, mission work for a while. And Mary and I end up in Denver and I'm going to seminary and I get hired on at a large church in Denver as an associate pastor for several years. And then that church sends us out to plant a church and we're, we take a team with us and we're slugging it out for four years. We poured everything we had into it and we become exhausted and depleted and spent and sometimes that happens when you're working at God's work. Sometimes it happens when you're maybe doing it the wrong way, right? Um, and so it's a combination of things that we experienced. But um, we got to the end of four years and our team was fried and we were spent. And I'd spent, uh, gone through some depression, anxiety, you know, not being, not being able to get out of bed in the morning. Like, that. this isn't good. But, but God led us to a place where we felt like we had served in that role, in that mission. We had pursued what he wanted, and it was a time where that could come to an end. And so we, uh, we made the decision as a group uh, to close down that effort. Now, it was a dream, man. It was something we had given our whole lives to, right? And so we did. Uh, it was hard. It was tough on us, right? We felt um, unsure 
of whether or not uh, we, you know, what do we have in us and what are we able to do and have we gone down the right road? And you, you ask all those questions. Well, God led me into um, a different occupation. Uh, I had a friend who, whose family owned a commercial lighting company and he gave me a call and he said, hey, maybe you want to work for our company while you're trying to figure out what to do next. And I said, okay. And so I went down and interviewed with the, with the manager of this lighting, commercial lighting company, something I knew nothing about. And uh, it for, he said, listen, I think you could probably do more than drive trucks. I think you could be a salesman. I'm like, okay. I mean, outside sales, <laughs> never done that before. Uh, but all of a sudden God made it pretty clear that's what I was supposed to do. And so I jump into this new path and, and it starts working. After about a year and a half, I'm like, I'm doing really well. Things are flourishing. They give me some awards, you know, for, for working hard. It's working. I'm going, I'm starting to build an, a, a plan for the future. Like, this is working great. I could do this the rest of my life. Maybe I could have my own branch someday, right? This is working. I'm feeling maybe I'm not a failure. Maybe I can offer something. You know, all those things you go through. And, uh, and so I'm on this road. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call from a good friend, right? <laughs> God had other plans. How are you at adjusting to God's plans for your life? God's plan for your future. It will not fit the plans you've made. Mary, Mary's plans were going to go out the window because of the plans God had for her. And she was going to have a response that we all have when we encounter God's call in our life. The call to follow him the call to live obediently to him, the call to be a witness for him, the call to serve in his church, on and on and on, right? Any call, when we understand what God's asking of us, we have the same response that Mary did because the future, we don't understand how it could happen because Mary is going to have to overcome her fear of a future that requires God's power. Luke chapter one, let's continue reading in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Angel Gabriel, not sure you understand the mechanics of how having a baby works. <laughs> but there's a young woman involved, right? A woman involved. There's also got to be a man involved. I'm a virgin. I'm not married yet. How is this going to happen? The angel replied, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Nearly every person who hears God's call has the same response Mary did. Because we have this understanding that what God's asking us to do is outside of our ability to do it. In fact, most of the time, if not all the time, it's flat out impossible. Mary's question is very logical, one, very rational, very reasonable. What you're telling me is going to happen can't happen. Now, she didn't say it can't happen. She just asked the question, how's it going to happen? Remember, Abraham had the same response when God said, you're going to have a son in your old age. What did he say? How? I'm over 100 years old. I can't have children anymore. Sarah, his wife, 
Same response when the angel told her she was going to have a baby in her old age. She said, how? My womb is dried up. I can't have a baby. How about Moses when God said, go, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What did Moses say? How? I can't talk. What about the nation of Israel when God said, go into the land of Canaan, take it over? They said, how? There's giants in the land. We could go on and on and on. You and I have the same response to the call of God. God's future for you, friends, will always scare you if you're aware at all. (laughs) If you're naive and don't really think about it, I guess maybe you won't be scared. But if you're awake and you got a pulse and you understand what God's asking you to do, you're going to be terrified. Because God's call in your life cannot be done in your power. Can't be done with your ability. Can't be done with your gifting. In fact, if it can, I want to question whether or not it's really God's call on your life. If you can do what you envision for the future without God, it doesn't line up with what God's call typically looks like. When Wilbur Chapman was in London, he had an opportunity to meet with General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who at the time was past 80 uh, 80 years old. Dr. Chapman listened reverently, reverently and respectfully as the old general spoke of the trials and conflicts and victories in his ministry years. Then the American evangelist asked the general a very important question. Asked him if he would disclose the secret to his success. He hesitated a second, Dr. Chapman said, and I saw tears well up in his eyes and steal down his cheeks. Then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got a vision of what could happen with the poor and the impoverished in London, and when my heart was moved to what Jesus Christ could do in their lives and with them, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's any powerful movement of God in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Dr. Chapman said when he went away from that meeting with General Booth, he knew that the greatness of a man's power is in measure to his surrender to God. The only correct response to having heard and understood the call of God and to grappled, uh, to have grappled with the how and to understand that it's going to require God's power to accomplish it, the only correct response to that future is in the affirmative. See, you have to overcome your fear and acknowledge that you must embrace a future or, excuse me, God's call is something that you must look at differently. It's a future that you must embrace. It's the only correct response. Let's look at Luke 1, 38, the final verse of the passage we're in this morning. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary had fears of the future that God was calling her into. She understood a little bit of what it would mean. Actually, she had no idea what it would be like to raise the son of God and to have him 
ultimately begin his ministry and to see many great things happen in his life, but ultimately see him get rejected, even though she knew who he was. He was the Messiah. He'd come from God. But he would be rejected by the Jewish leaders. He would ultimately be killed. She would lose her son early in his life. She really had no idea of what she would have to bear the pain, the burden, the difficulty of embracing God's plan for her future. But she did know that her reputation would change. She did know that it wasn't going to work out. Her her identity and her future wasn't going to look like she wanted it to or like she had planned it to. But ultimately, she said what we all must say when we understand God's call in our life, and that is, yes. That is, okay, God, I'll jump in. I'll move forward. Whatever you have for me, whatever that future looks like, I'm in. I wonder if you would join me in saying yes to God this Christmas season. I don't know if you're in a place where you're still wrestling with just making a decision to follow Jesus, making a decision to answer God's call on your life. Maybe you still sit in church and resist Maybe you go through life and you go, I know what that means. I'm not ready to do it. I'll do it later. I'll do it some other time. Keep kicking that can down the road, but you know God's calling you to make a decision to trust him and to become a follower of Jesus. I want to call you this Christmas season to say yes to God. Don't put it off anymore. It's a blessed future. The devil will keep telling you the things you're going to lose, the things you're going to miss, why you shouldn't do it. But I want you to know, just like Mary understood in this moment, that when you make that decision, you step into a blessed life with a blessed future that is not just about you, but it's about the world around you. It's about the difference that you can make if you'll stop just thinking about you and you'll begin to follow Jesus. Say yes to God. Maybe you're in that place where you're going through an incredibly difficult season grappling with what God has put in front of you or what God has allowed to happen to you. And you're saying, God, I don't know. I don't want to embrace this. I don't want this to happen. I don't want to go this way. I just want to call you maybe this Christmas season to say yes to God and embrace God's future for you, even though it didn't look like what you planned. Maybe you're just not living for God. You're not living for him the way you know you should. You're not speaking up for him. You're not acknowledging him before men. You're not sharing his love with others. You're not sharing the message of the gospel. I just want to call you this Christmas season, man. Let's say yes to God. Let's follow Mary's example, a young Jewish woman who when confronted with a plan that God had for a life that would require a lot out of her, she overcame her fear and said yes to God. My prayer is that you would join me in doing that this season You know, when we do, every single time we say yes to God, what will happen in and through our lives is the same thing that happened through Mary's life. Because she said yes, the entire world was blessed. You have access to the salvation God offers because she said yes to God's plan. Could God have found another way? Sure. But but she said yes. And so the blessing came through her. And in the same way, when you and I say yes, the people around us, the world around us can be blessed through us. We'll step up to an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody, to love on somebody, to to try again, 
to invite him to Christmas Eve service one more time. Right? Well, I've tried eight years in a row. I, yeah. But when, when I say yes to God, see, I'm obedient to his plan for my life. And I, I reach out again. Just talked to a couple last night. They've been trying for eight years. And it looks like this year their friends are going to come. Listen, that's the kind of thing that happens. The blessing of God can flow through you to the world around you. Say yes to God. Overcome your fear, your misplaced fear of other things. William Grinnell said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. Let's live in the fear of God this year. And let's say yes to his call in our life. And let's allow him to work through us to bless the world around us. God, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you for Mary's example of uh, the right response to an alteration of her plans. God, you come to each one of us and you offer us and invite us to become instruments for you to use to make a difference in the world and to bless the world around us just like you did with Mary. And Father, we struggle with the same things she did. We wonder how it could happen and how we could do it and how could we ever go down that road. And yet, God, you uh, assure us that your power will be with us. It will flow through us so that the impossible becomes possible. I pray for each person here. God, if there's somebody here that's never yet made the decision to cross over from death to life, to stop following the devil and begin to follow you, I pray that they would do that this morning right now. Give their life to you and become a follower of Jesus. God, for those that know you, I pray that this season would be the season they say yes to you to to follow your plans for them and to begin to reach out and to begin to represent you in the world we live in. God, we want to be used by you to be a blessing. Thank you for giving us the opportunity and calling us to do it. I pray that you would work your miracles in us and through us this year, that we might see many in our community come to know you because of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.